to the second Bible reading. It's taken from chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. It can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1172. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of God. Thank you, Mark. Well, good evening, church. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Bryce, and I have the privilege, I have had the privilege of serving as a student minister here for the past two years, and it's been so good that I've decided that I'm not going to leave, and I need your help to stay. Uh, John and Ollie, the staff here for next year, uh, are away, and so what I've decided is this, we're going to have a, a meeting after the service, you're going to vote me in and send Ollie to Point Cook, that's what we're going to do. But in all seriousness, you're very blessed uh, to have Ollie as the incoming uh, student minister here, or associate minister, I mean, and uh, he'll be very blessed by having you guys uh, as a congregation to be served by as well. So um, with that in mind, we're going to come before God's word now, so let's pray as we do that. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, thank you so much for the privilege it is uh, to meet as your people in public week and week, week out, every single Sunday, uh, to come before your living word. God, we think of the, the churches and your people all around the world who are in countries and cities and towns and villages who cannot do that. And we ask that you would sustain them and give them the means to keep uh, uh, persevering to the very end and running the race. Father, as we uh, come before your living word tonight in James, would you please uh, work in us through your spirit, by your spirit, to understand your word and to apply it to our lives so that we may hear it and accept it and do it. For we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you know if you've got authentic faith? In 2016... 12 million Australians claim to have faith in Christ. That's half of Australia saying they are Christians. Now, 
anyone can tick an old census box to say that they're Christian. So how do we know if the faith of all these people is real? How do we know if our faith is real? What does it even look like? Is it about being baptised? Is it about believing the right things? Is it about knowing the gospel? Is it about knowing Jesus? Is that authentic faith? Some of you know that I love imitating accents. And when I pull them off, people are impressed. They're even shocked. But sometimes I try this particular line in Chinese when I'm around Chinese people. Here's how it sounds. Now that, now that means sorry, but I only speak a little bit of Mandarin. And I usually get one of two reactions. The first reaction is, wow, that's really good. Or the second reaction is your one. They laugh and they cringe and they think, how bad is that? Completely off. And of course they would, because who likes bad imitations? If you're a Chinese speaker and you hear this white gualo Aussie guy trying to speak Chinese, how on earth are you going to you know, be happy with that? Authenticity matters. Like, what do you think? When a football team makes the grand final, and all of a sudden one of your close friends at work or uni becomes their biggest fan and shows up in, the, in the, all the supporter gear, you're thinking, what on earth? I didn't know this person even liked football. It's so annoying when people suddenly jump on the bandwagon of a footy team. It's irritating. And maybe you're sitting there tonight thinking it's irritating that football is still on TV. We'll be encouraged the season's coming to an end. We hate it when people lack authenticity, don't we? But don't you think it's so much worse when a Christian lacks authenticity? I was on Facebook the other day, and uh, I saw someone I used to know on there years ago. Hadn't seen her in a long time. But in in my mind, she was a Christian. Uh, We would talk about the Bible. She knew her Bible. We would talk about sermons. She seemed to be serious about Jesus. She'd definitely heard the word. But as I, I looked at her profile picture, I, I had to like click on it. I thought, this looks interesting. And sure enough, it was her marrying another woman. And I was, I was like, what's going on? It's very easy, I suppose, to judge people in that situation. But I wonder if we can all claim to have authentic Christian faith. It all comes down to this, friends. Do we acknowledge Jesus with our words? but deny him with our lifestyles. Do we have authentic faith? We're evangelicals, yeah? And evangelicals love God's word, and the world knows about that. We're the first ones to stand for God's truth. We're the first ones to say Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. But you know, as I read this evening's passage, it made me think about my own journey, my own life. Like I I spend every day basically in the word, in devotion, in the morning, in class, trying to understand it and interpret it, with people as I catch up with them one-to-one, in my growth group as I, as I try to teach it, when I preach. All sorts of situations allow me to, to encounter God's word. But it made me think, I read it, I hear it, but do I do it? Does it impact me? How do I live it out? Do we have authentic faith? James 1, 19-27 says, Real authentic faith is summed up like this. Authentic, people with authentic faith have three things. They do three things. They hear the word, they accept the word, and they do the word. And so let's explore what that means, to hear the word. 
The very first Christians to hear this letter by James were like refugees. Right? They were kicked out of their city. They were in a foreign place. And they were trying to navigate the rough waters of poverty and oppression and persecution. And the verses before explore how to find joy when you're in that sort of situation. And, and now in verse 19, James is, is changing tack here, he's changing topics. And the new topic is summed up in two verses. Have a look at them with me. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This is an impassioned plea. Take note, brothers and sisters. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. You see, one verse before, if you look at your Bibles there, one verse before in 18, James talks about the word of truth. And he's saying this to the people. He's saying, you guys are born again. You were the first fruits of God's renewed people. And if you're really renewed, if you're the real deal, you've got to be quick to listen to God, to listen to, to, listen to his word, even under the pressure of trial and persecution. Because in such times, you either listen to God with greater urgency or you start listening to the words of the world. And that's got to be hard. But when we start feeling the heat and the pressure, like the first hearers did, it'd be so tempting to give in and to stop listening to God. But those with authentic faith will listen because they know that's the only way to get through trials and persecution. But there's more. Look at the next command. He says, be slow to speak. Now look around the room. All those sad faces are our extroverts. These people love speaking. And this is bad news for people who like to talk, people like me. The one who's quick to hear is meant to be slow to speak. Do you see the contrast there? Normally people are slow to hear and quick to speak. But those with authentic faith do the opposite. And James knew that these people who, who were struggling, they were struggling to hold their tongues as well. Injustice and hardship and persecution were grinding them to the ground and they were sick of it. They were fed up. But James insisted, no matter your circumstances, there is no excuse for mouthing off at people. But those who are quick to hear are slow to anger. The one who hears God's word controls their speech and their temper. Can you see the connection between the three? The person who works hard to hear God learns to speak slowly and they take control of their emotions. And this isn't normal. And that's because those with authentic faith have a different operating system. It's like they're Android and the rest of the world is Apple. Just remember... Apple's landed us in this whole mess called sin. And so the lesson is, don't buy an Apple Mac. Right? You're laughing because it's true. But come back to the text with me. There's an old saying. You never give the, reason, the rules or the instructions without giving the reason for them, the why. And this principle is, is biblical. Why should we be slow to anger? Look at verse 20. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You see, that's the end goal of faith, of authentic faith. 
giving God what he wants, what he desires, righteousness, righteous living. Because in the end, we either produce righteousness or we produce sin. And those who acknowledge Jesus with their words but deny them with their lifestyle, well, they produce sin. Those with authentic faith hear it. That's point one. But when you think about it, any old person can hear God's word. Anybody can open a Bible up and try to study it and make sense of it and go, all right, this is what Christianity is about. That's not enough, is it, to have authentic faith, to have real faith. That's just the beginning. And if you want to know the difference between just hearing the word or rather just being someone who's looks like a Christian and someone who's an authentic one. The key difference is in the next verse. Look at 21. Therefore, therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. People with authentic faith accept the word. That's point two. And he's saying there are four like aspects to accepting God's word. And the first one is preparing properly to accept it by dealing with the dirt in our lives. He's saying, get rid, get, get rid of all the moral filth and evil that's, that's on you, that's in you. What's he saying? Well, James uses this word filth uh, in chapter 2, and he uses it to describe shabby clothing. And we see it used in Revelation to talk about uh, shabby uh, morals. And so what he's saying to us is this. Like, get rid of the dirty clothes, the clothes that stink, the clothes that make you repulsive to the living God, your Father. And so it's good to ask ourselves, what are the dirty clothes in our life? What are the clothes, what are the things that make us smell before our God? Whatever whatever they are, they've got to go. Repent of those things. And get rid of them. And after you do, here's the next thing. Come before God with humility. James 4 says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. You see, if, if ridding yourself of moral evil, uh, a moral filth and evil is like pulling weeds out of the soil, then coming before God with the attitude of humility is like pouring fertilizer on that soil. So here's the key. We have to accept it with humility. It's all about this. It's easy to say, I believe the Bible. It's easy to say, yes, it reveals the way to salvation. But it's a very different thing. Let it go from here to here. To lay our pride and our ambitions for life aside and to let the thing in front of you have its way with you. You see, this plant that God plants in us is different. We don't get to put it in planted word in this little pot plant that we get to water and keep in our own little corner of the house in a convenient spot as a part of our life, as a lifestyle choice. No, no, the seed in in this passage, it gets planted right here and it's meant to grow and impact every single part of our life. Our thoughts, our priorities, our actions, even our most deepest desires and hopes for this life. To let it take the steering wheel of our life. That's authentic faith. 
And what do seeds do? They sprout, don't they? They sprout and they become saplings and they form leaves and then they form flowers and those flowers create fruit. The authentic Christian truly hears and accepts the implanted word and that word can save. And do you notice that it, it can save? I don't know about you, but I often think of salvation as having already happened. Like it, in one sense, it has. Right? If we're Christians, we've been justified. But salvation is actually past, present, future. Right? We've been justified in the past. We've been made into Christ's likeness now. That's sanctification. And one day Jesus is going to come back and finish that task. And here James is using the aorist tense. He's talking in the present. He's saying, we can expect to see fruit now. Even during trials. And we've seen this idea before, friends. Jesus talked about it in the parable of the four seeds, the four spiritual seeds, the, one, the fourth one that was planted. The person heard the word, accepted it, and bore great fruit for the Lord. Do you know, I heard the story of someone recently who was married to a pastor. And this pastor, apparently, was really gifted at teaching and explaining the word. He'd heard it. But the woman explained that the more and more she observed, the more and more she questioned whether it was going from here to here, whether it was genuinely changing his character and his life, whether the word was having its way in his life. And you know what? One day he upped, he left, he left the church, he left his wife with another woman, gone. He'd heard the word, he taught it, like I'm teaching it right now. But it seems he never truly accepted it. He acknowledged Jesus with his lips, but denied him with his lifestyle. Make no mistake, friends. Those with authentic faith hear the word and accept it. But after accepting comes action. We must be doers of the word. And that's our third point. James says that the person who, uh, who's content with hearing God's word and nothing more is deceiving themselves. Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. All, right? All the practical people here tonight just said, Amen, preach it. But you didn't hear it because we're Presbyterian and that's not appropriate. That's why they said nothing. Don't just listen. Do. Do what it says. Look at how he illustrates in verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do it is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. James says, when we come before God's spiritual mirror, the, war, the, the word of God, there are two outcomes. Either we deceive ourselves or we bring blessing. James is saying the one who praises Jesus with their words, but denies him with their lifestyle, that person is deceiving themselves. They look into the mirror. They realize how fallen they are before the living God. Then they walk away, they forget, and they don't bear fruit. But those with authentic faith, they receive blessing. Look at verse 25. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. See, authentic faith looks into the perfect law that gives freedom. Do you notice that the word is now called the law here? This is probably deliberate. Right? Christians are not meant to be 
anti-law now that they're under grace. The law gives us the, the guidelines, the framework for how we live under that beautiful gift of grace. It's not the law of slavery. It's not the law of restriction. It's the law that gives freedom. And that's because we are only truly free when we know the boundaries in this life, the right and the wrong. A child is the most happy when their parents and their teachers lay consistent rules around them and they know where the boundaries lie. It goes against our assumptions, but it's so true. Principled living leads to freedom. It leads to blessing. And so if we have authentic faith, we must be those who hear and accept and do the word. But what does it look like to do the word? Look at the final two verses there. James makes it very clear. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. James wants us to see that if we're born again, and we call God as Father, as verses 17 and 18 say, then we should resemble this Father in three ways. Just as God reached out to us, His helpless people, so we must have compassion to the helpless around us. Just as God spoke the perfect word to bring us new birth, so we must use our tongues to bring blessing and not bane. And if we are the first fruits of the new creation, we must reflect that holy character of God and live holy lives. So let's explore these three. The first is keeping a tight rein on the tongue. And that makes sense. James expands on this in chapter 3. But suffice to say, God's people, those with real faith, must have their tongue under control. It means not just saying whatever comes to mind but being slow to speak, to, to measure our words and to think about what will bless others, what will be good for them. But I think the most interesting one is the next one, looking after orphans and widows. What's it saying there? Is James saying that we need to look out for all the people with no parents in Melbourne and all the people, all the women who have lost a, a husband and to deliberately seek them out and care for them? Well, if you think about it, you'll realize that James's point is that we just need to show a care to those who are helpless. You see, in, in his time, it was the orphans and it was the widows. Right? The orphans didn't have an orphanage to go to. There was no foster care system. And, and if you were a woman and your husband left you or, or died, uh, that, you, know, you, you didn't have some high-paying career of your own, your own. And so you all of a sudden were in a big, big trouble. And so you needed help. And so he was calling on God's people to care for these people. And third, keeping unpolluted or unstained by the world. Right? The world is full of sin. The more we let it influence us, the more polluted we become. And so the question is, how much does it influence us? We're thinking about the marks of authentic faith this evening. Hearing accepting and doing the word. 
But this leads us to ask this question, to ask three heart questions of, our, of, our, of ourselves. And the first one is this. Do we hear God? Like, do we hear him? I don't mean do we hear his small audible voice when we're praying. I mean, do we hear him in his word? Are we engaging in it? Are we reading our Bibles? And if we are, are we paying attention? When you read it in the morning or the evening, do you take it in? Or do you just, just move the, the little bookmark thing further and further along? When, when we meet up with others to read the Bible, are we really hearing what we're reading? When we're sitting through church like we are now, are we paying attention to sermons or is our mind just wandering all the time? And how is our hearing influencing our speech? Are we finding that our words are blessing others or hurting others? And are we self-controlled? How is our temper? When we get angry, do we restrain or do we let loose? The answer to these questions, friends, will reveal just how close uh, you are to God. Uh, and the second question, if we are hearing God's word, how are our hearts responding? Are we actually accepting this thing that we read, the thing that we hear? You see, the biggest barrier to my spiritual growth is actually me. And this biggest uh, barrier to your spiritual growth is you. If we hear the word and our hearts remain cold, we will not change. That I can assure you. The heart is the seat of our affection. It's the, it's the engine room that drives all of our actions in this life. It drives everything that you want to do. And so every time we open the word, what's our heart doing? As we're sitting here right now, hearing this, this passage preached, what are our hearts doing? Are we wanting to put in practice what we're hearing? Or are we resisting? Are we getting mad? Are we getting offended? Can we sense a humble spirit in ourselves, a spirit that wants this implanted word to have its way in our life, no matter what the cost is, to have its way over our studies and over our work and over our, our marriage or our hope for the kids or over our health? Or do we reject it? But if we accept it, do we do it? Do we find ourselves acting as our Father acts? How are we going with our tongues? It's good to remember why James wrote this. God's people were scattered in places where they were not accepted. God's people were largely poor and they were persecuted and they were lashing out. They needed to control their tongues. Now I suspect most of us are far from poor in Surrey Hills. But I'm confident that if we have authentic faith, we are finding ourselves more and more being mistreated for that faith. And I'm aware that some of you are facing pressure in your jobs to be unethical, to, to fudge the numbers, to cheat the customers, maybe pressure to abort babies, to skew data, maybe at uni to, to cheat group assignments. When you resist, and I believe you would, do you get... Uh, when you get mistreated, what do you do? How are our tongues responding? Are we giving in to the temptation to try to get even, to bring justice, to try and force it, like the people in James's day? Or as the Bible says, are we using our tongue to bless those who persecute us? 
Because after all, our tongue reveals the state of our heart and whether or not we're actually children of God. And another trait that reveals our identity is whether or not we have compassion for the helpless. So how are we doing at that? Who are the people that are doing it tough in our circle? Is it our grandparents? Is it the people next door? Is it the people at uni? Who's, placed, who's God placed in our life to care for, to show God's love in action to? As I wrote this sermon, it, um, it occurred to me that I actually see many of you already living this out. Some of our Chinese friends have moved to this area with poor English and they're vulnerable, they're helpless in that. And some of you are volunteering to teach them English. You are doing the word. Some of you are taking some of us young people in to live with you when living at home isn't practical anymore. You're doing the word. Some of you are involved in things like uh, Salt and Light, that homeless ministry in the city. You're doing the word and it's awesome. But I wonder still if sometimes we're in danger of wanting to be the mouthpiece of Jesus and less keen to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Don't get me wrong. Evangelism and edification are critical, but so too are caring for the felt needs of others. So essential that it's really an identity check. It reveals whether or not we share the same heart as our Father in heaven. Tame tongues and care for the helpless are the fruits of those who do the word. But there's one more thing they do. They keep unpolluted. If you're anything like me, then keeping unpolluted is hard because every day we get bombarded with things that stain us. Work and school and uni and gym and Facebook and Netflix and if you watch it, free-to-air TV and newspapers and commercial radio. It's everywhere. All sorts of things that can cause us and tempt us to sin. And so how are we going in remaining unstained, unpolluted? What are the things that we are tempted to worship that the world around us calls precious? Money and sex and power and prestige and education and relationships and work and travel and all sorts of endless forms of pleasure. What are the things that we are struggling with? See, these things are good things in their right place, but so often they become the object of our worship and they leave us dirty and unstained and smelly before God. Friends, authenticity is what we must strive for as Christians. And that's a heavy challenge, I know. But let me remind you tonight of the one that you are saved by. Because the Lord Jesus, he spent 33 years on this earth listening to the words of the Father, accepting those words in his heart and doing them. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead and his record of work is your record of work through faith. And so let Christ's loving service on your behalf move you to hear and accept and do his word this week. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for the incredibly practical and challenging letter that is the letter of James. Thanks for showing us the marks of authentic faith. God, we ask this evening that those who may not know you will be moved to accept your word and bear much fruit. But God, for the rest of us, would you move us to hear your word more often, to accept your word with greater humility and to do your word with greater zeal. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.